Hey, I'm Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here. Glad you guys are all here today. Um, it's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, I went on my little family vacation. You know, it's funny. Jim comes up here and he talks about, gosh, that trip he went on to, to London, England, and to Paris, and to Belgium. You know, his family all went there and they, they were seeing the Eiffel Tower. Jackie and I, we went to, uh, to Seattle and Spokane like we always do, you know. <laughs> And we were over there and we, you know, we had our Zips burger in Spokane. Jim's having wine and cheese in Paris. We had our Zips burger in Spokane. Um, you know, he, he had layovers in, in Stockholm and we had our layover in Butte, Montana. You know, we were at the Clarion Inn in Butte. It's a really pretty pool, indoor pool there. You know, Jim is, Jim is taking his, his family down these fancy historic roads, and we're driving down I-25 from Sheridan to Casper to Cheyenne. Lots of, lots of sleeping animals on the side of the road. So we got to see a lot of animals just sleeping away, just right there on the side of the road. So um, I'm telling you that so you'd feel sorry for me, because uh, I always take the brunt of the hard stuff. Jim gets all the easy stuff around here. He gets to go to... to Europe, and I'm going to Butte. So um, while I was on my trip, though, let me tell you this. While I was on my trip, I'm, I'm, I was reading a book that I've, been, I've read a couple of times now, and I read it every once in a while just to kind of kind of get me going again and to, to fire me up again. It was a, it's a book by Earl McMahon. It's called Wide Awake. And, and in it, listen to what he says. He says this. I don't have this on the screens. I'm just going to read it to you guys. He says this. He says, the alarm sounds... Your feet hit the floor and carry you into another day. But what does that day hold for you? Will you punch your card at work and catch up on TV at home and crash into bed? Then the next day it's the same thing all over again? Or will you dare to dig deep and discover the incredible potential lying within you? We sleepwalk and we settle while God created us for a reason. He has called you to live a heroic life. Now, when he says he calls us to live a heroic life, that implies that he has called us to step out beyond ourselves and to make a difference, to make a difference for somebody else. Void of monotony, teeming with danger and adventure in the unknown. The world desperately needs you to live up to your greatness. The alarm has sounded and it's time to shake off the slumber. Now, see, when I read that, I want that to inspire me. I want that to inspire me to move, but I'm afraid that when I read it and when many of us hear it, we, we hear things like adventure and the unknown and teaming with danger. And you just go, man, I, I got kids. I got enough adventure and unknown and teeming with danger. And I don't need any more inspiration to step out any further than that. But God is, God is saying, and Ermac Manus is saying through this, he wants to inspire us to step into what the Lord, man, what God has got in store for us. He's inspiring us to look beyond just ourselves and to what does he have for us to reach out and to use the gifts that he's given us to bless this world. Now, now, as I'm thinking through that and thinking through how I'm wrestling with it, my, my staff, this, just this last week, our staff w- went out and, and hung out with Janie Dontucci for a little while. Janie's a good friend. She comes here to our church. She's a brilliant woman. And Janie sat with us and talked to us about inspiration. And she read something to us. And when she read it, I thought, man, that's what I'm talking about. That's our church. That's our people as we walk into this place. She says this. Now listen to this. 
She says, we're made to respond to inspiration. Everybody wears an unseen sign. I love this. All of us are wearing an unseen sign that reads, inspire me. Remind me that my life matters. Call me to be my best self. Appeal to whatever in me is most noble and honorable. Don't let me go down the path of least resistance. Challenge me to make my life about something more than the acquisition of money or success. When she read that, I'm just sitting there going, that is me yelling out to God and to everybody else. And I think that's what all of us underneath it all and underneath all the stuff that we carry are saying, inspire me to make my life matter. Call me to be be my best self and don't let me go down the path of least resistance. See, God is pulling us. He's pulling us towards what he has created us to be. He's pulling us towards an opportunity to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in our world, in the world that's right in front of us. He's pulling us. He's saying, make a difference with our spouse, with our kids, with our family, our neighbors, our roommates, our workmates, someone we've never met, the homeless guy you see on your way to work with someone older than us, someone way younger than us, someone that is sick, someone that is wandering, someone that is lonely, someone that's overwhelmed, someone that's confused, someone that just needs someone to sit with them and have a cup of coffee, someone that needs Jesus. God has designed us to be heroic to step into those lives, to make a difference in those lives, to look beyond ourselves and to step into it. God has designed us that way. But when we hear it, a lot of times we play tug of war with that. God is pulling us one direction. He's got one end of the rope and he's pulling us one direction. And we are anchored in on the other side with things internally, with things external, with things we can control, with things we can't. And we are pulling from the other side. And we say, man, yeah, I should. I should respond. I should write that letter. I should call my mom. I should, I should speak into what's going on in, that, in my friend's life. I should confront my roommate. I should, I should jump out and help in that area. I should, I should respond to that need. I should, and we just, and we just don't. Because something's tugging away from what the Lord is, is, is inspiring us to do. And so we're playing it. We're playing tug of war with what God's got for us. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. It's a series called Tug of War, where we're going to talk about those things that tend to pull away from what God has in store for us. Now, we're going to do that, and we're going to, we're going to look at the life of somebody in the Bible that flat inspires us with this. That we look at his life, and we just go, man, look at how he did respond. Look at what he did do, and, and what can we learn from that? We're going to look at a guy named Nehemiah. Now, I know some of you guys are very familiar with Nehemiah. He's a guy in the Old Testament. He's someone that, for some of you, you might have studied it and have been inspired by him. But some of you might not even know who that guy is. We're going to give a little bit of background, a little bit of history, and we're going to get to spend some time looking at what he's done in his life over these next few weeks And we'll see what that means for us in our life too. So let's pray together and we'll dig into this. Father, we thank you for today. 
We thank you for this opportunity to, to be together and to worship together. And we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate together, for, to celebrate Becky and, and, and the accomplishments that she's made as she put in the time and the effort to, to learn more about who you are and to be able to pastor better. We, we, we thank you for that. We thank you that we all get to come together and that our, our burdens are heavy. But then, but then we pray that through our time here and as we take steps closer to you, that our burdens are, are lightened. And we can walk out of here feeling refreshed and, and, and overjoyed at getting to experience you and what you have for us in our life. And so we pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, now let's dig into this, this, this Nehemiah, okay? Now, I do recognize that some of you don't know where Nehemiah is at in the Old Testament. And, and sometimes when we talk about those kinds of things and we bring someone like Nehemiah out, it's like, man, you're getting chapter 9 of a, of a story that you're going, I don't know any of the rest of the story, and now you're just giving me chapter 9. And it can be kind of confusing. So let me give you a little bit of historical background on this so we, to, to get us up to Nehemiah, okay? So here's, and so, so for some of you guys, this is review. Some of you say, oh, I already know all that stuff. Hey, I don't care. We're going to give it to everybody now. Everyone's going to get this. So, so, so here's the deal. The, the Jewish people, the, the, God's people, they wanted a king. And so they grabbed hold of Saul and they said, we want Saul to be our king. And then Saul, when, when, Saul was first and then, he went to, then it went to David and it went, into, then it went to Solomon. Now, when Solomon was king, he had kids, and he looked at these guys, and they're going, they're a bunch of delinquents. There's no way that they're going to be able to do anything. And he says, what's going to happen after me? And, he, and he, in Ecclesiastes, he talks about that. What in the world's going to happen after me? And the, these guys aren't going to be able to do this. And he was right. Those guys were delinquents. They are messing things up. And the next thing you know, the kingdom is, is in two now. And now the nation of Israel, there's the, now there's Israel to the north, and there's Judah to the south. It's a separated kingdom, Okay. Now, in that, as these two kingdoms are separated, here comes the Assyrian Empire. That was the empire in the world. The Assyrian Empire comes in, and they conquer the north, and they take over Israel. And they take those people that were in Israel, and they scatter them all over the place. Because that's what, that's what empires did, is they took these people, they took over their lands, and they scattered the people so they couldn't come back together and retaliate. So the Assyrians came in, they scattered the people. A couple hundred years later, the Babylonians come in. They're the new empire. And now these guys take over the southern kingdom of, of, of Judah. And all those people that were living in Jerusalem and all around there, and they spread them out everywhere. And a lot of prophets in the Old Testament start writing about that, those times when those people were scattered. And Jeremiah writes about how, gosh, what it looks like to be scattered. But God still has a plan for them. And so you get that with Babylonian and Nebuchadnezzar, and he takes them over. Now, a third empire comes in, and, and the, the Persian Empire comes. They take over the Babylonian Empire, and King Cyrus looks at the whole situation and says, it's time to let the Jewish people go back. And so he says, let them go back to Jerusalem. Let them go back and redevelop their, their, their land and their culture and all of it. Let them do that. And so he let the Jewish people come back to Jerusalem. And so they did. And they tried to rebuild Solomon's temple. It wasn't nearly as elaborate and fancy as it once was. And they tried to rebuild that. They tried to rebuild the culture and, 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 and just the, the feel of, of their people in Jerusalem. But they couldn't build the wall. And when they didn't build the wall, the walls were key that fortified a city. And when a wall wasn't there, it allowed for the marauders and the robbers and anybody else to be able to come in and infiltrate the city. And so while they tried their best to make Jerusalem back the way it was, it was not, they were not accomplishing their goal. 
Because there was nothing that fortified that city, that protected that city. Okay, so Cyrus is now gone. And now we got a new king in the Persian Empire. And he's Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes has a guy that's his right-hand man, his cupbearer. The cupbearer to the king was the guy that would take all the food and all the wine, everything that would come towards the king, and he'd eat it first. He'd taste it first. He'd taste the drink first before it came to the king because if it was poisonous, the cupbearer would die instead of the king. Okay? So, so the cupbearer was a trusted guy in the king's government. He's one of the highest officials in the king's government because the cupbearer had to make sure the king was okay. And while you look at that, and you think, what a lame job. I got I to eat stuff, and if it's poisonous, I'm going to die so the king doesn't. It's also a really posh job. It's a job that they, he gets to sit and wine and, and dine with the king. The old, he gets to just hang out with the king. He gets to eat all the stuff the king's eating. He gets to do all the things the king's doing. He gets to go to all the parties that the king's going to. And so this position of cupbearer was a coveted position. It was a position that people, that, that people liked having. It was a position that you just go, man, that's a position of authority. It's a position uh, that, that, you know, I get, to, I get to do all these great things. That person, the cupbearer, was Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, Okay. So Nehemiah's sitting there doing his job, and he's loving his job. He's just hanging out, doing his job as the cupbearer to the king. And this person comes along, and they give him a report of, his, of where his ancestors grew up in, in Jerusalem. He gives him a report of Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. This is in Nehemiah chapter 1, okay? So you got that background. Here's Nehemiah chapter 1. It says this, the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. It was in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. At that time, I was in the palace complex at Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews there who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me the exile survivors who are left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The walls of Jerusalem are still rubble. The city gates are still in cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, he dropped to his knees. He, this cut him to the core. He heard what it was happening in his homeland. And he's going, man, what's going on there? And God, how do you want me to respond to this? And what can I do? And, and, and so he is cut to the core over, over what's going on around him. He sees that and he's going, I know I've got a job. I got this great job. I know I've got a life right here. He repeats it in Nehemiah. He says, I am the cupbearer to the king for crying out loud. I don't have to respond to this. There's going to be a part of him. He's just going, do I, I wish I didn't even hear the news. You know, sometimes when you, when you, when you're sitting there and you hear the news of someone and you just go, man, I'd rather have not have known because now this is, just, this is just occupying my time. You know, when your kids do something and you just go, man, I almost would rather not have heard it because now it's occupying my time. What's going to happen? You know, and so, and so that's, he's in that place where it's occupying all of his time and he's going to the Lord and he's just going, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And over time, as he continued to follow that conviction over and over again of what's going on there in Jerusalem, he goes back to the king. And he says this in chapter 2. He says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. He said, Then 
I was terrified. I love that. Then I was terrified. Not only terrified that he's got to go to the king and who knows what Artaxerxes is going to do. He could kill me for this request. But also terrified because I know what I'm going to ask him might actually change my course. My course was set. I was just doing what I'm doing as the cupbearer. And this might actually even change my course in bringing this to the king. But he says this, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? I love this with a prayer to the God of heaven, man. He gives a quick prayer. He's not, no time for, for, oh Lord, and no time for amen. He's just going, God help me. Here we go. I replied, if it's pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servants, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. And later on, he concludes, the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. I went to him, even, in ter- even terrified. But the gracious hand of God was on me, and God granted me my request. And I see you guys, for me, when I look at situations like this, I call these things holy crap moments. I'm just going, okay, God, uh, here it goes. I'm going to try this. I'm going to say this. And, and you say it, and you just go, oh, no, what did I just say? What did I just do? I didn't mean to say that. You know, when I turned my resignation at First Pres and to, to start this church, that was one of those moments where I'm just going, oh, here you go, Doug, give it give back, give it back. You know, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go start no church. When we signed that contract for that piece of land, that was the, give it back, give it back. Are we sure we want to do this? You know, when you go to somebody and, and, and you want to confront them on something, you just want to say, hey, man, I, I got to talk to you. You know, it's your roommate in college. You're going, I got to talk to you about this. And you're going, oh, never mind. I really don't need to talk to you about this. You know, you have those moments where you just go, oh, no, no, no. I don't really want to do this. What's this going to mean if I step out into this? What's it going to mean if I write this letter? I've got a letter, you guys, right now that I really want to write to a very close friend that wants to, I want to, I want to talk to him because I'm concerned about him and his health. And I want to, I want to, I want to write it, but I'm so afraid to, I'm so afraid to step into that because I, I don't want to offend him. And, and, and I, I, I just want to encourage him. I'm, I'm truly, I'm this week, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid to. It's one of those moments where I'm going, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. But, but for Nehemiah, it wasn't one of those moments. When you look at Nehemiah and the way he responded, he responded with such stinking confidence. He's going, I got to do this. I'm going to step out. Why in the world could Nehemiah, how could Nehemiah have stepped out with such confidence instead of such reservation? How did he, why, why does he do that? I think it's because Nehemiah is stepping right into the way God created him. I think he's stepping right into the way God has designed him to be. See, here's the deal. We fight like crazy with our individualism. We fight like crazy with this is just all about me and this is my stuff and I, I got it and I need it and, that's a, it's, and if I can just do this the rest of my life, I'm done and it'll be fine. I, I'm the cupbearer to the king. 
But he knew, he knew that God has created him to care. God has created us to care, to care for the person next to you that you love so much, but also to care for the person that's on the other side that you don't even know. He's created us to care for for the the older person in our life. He's created us to care for the younger person in our life. He's created us to care for what's going on in our community. He's created us to care for what's going on in the world. He's created us to step into those things. And Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah knew that God has created me to step into the problem. To step, step away from just what is about me and step into that. How do we know that? How do we know that God has created us? to go beyond self into what else is out there. How do we know that? We know it because he commands us all the time to do it. And God would not have been a God that created us this way and then commanded us this way. He commands us in, 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 in Colossians 3.12. He says, put on, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put that on. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Live into what I've created you to be. He says, there's no greater love in John 15, 13 than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And then that's repeated in 1 John, to lay down one's life for his friends. And why do we, why does God know we can do that? Because he's created us that way. To step into that. To not focus on just myself. But to, it says, it says all through the Bible, it says, love your neighbor. He wouldn't say that if he hasn't designed us to be able to love our neighbor. He's saying, I want you to step into that. Stop letting life be all about you. That's what Maurice talked about all last week. It was life all about me. And God's going, man, I want you to step into my will, which is looking out. And how can I respond to the need in this world? I mean, think about that, you guys. Think about that for your, your, your it's, it's why, I, I think it's why when you, when you dig a hole in your own backyard and you're just digging and you're complaining and you're cussing because there's too many rocks and stuff, and you're just like, just give me a break. I'm done digging a hole. Why that's the way you feel there. But when you're on a mission trip and I'm in Thailand and I'm digging an eight foot hole and I'm sweating like crazy and it's super hard and I'm picking up these buckets and handing them to somebody way up there and I'm going, why why is there so much joy in that? The reason why there's so much joy in it is because I know I'm stepping right into what God wants me to do. I'm stepping right into going, yes, step out and meet the needs. I'm stepping right into it. And there's great joy in it. It's why for me, when I, when I go to, to Kohl's next door and I buy myself some jeans and a shirt, you know, and I'm like, you know, I use my 30% coupon that they give you in the mail. And so everything's all great until you get out in the car and you're going, did I really need to do this? I don't know if I did. And you feel all that remorse all the way home. I feel it all the time. But, when I, but do I feel that remorse when I write a $50 check to a college student going off to do something? I don't feel it there. Why? Because God has created us to step into that. God's created us to, 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 to love your neighbor. God has created us to step into the need. When we do that, we're right into what we would call the will of God. A lot of times we throw that word around in churches, the will of God. You guys, the will of God is stepping into what he's created us to be. And we're stepping right into that. Now get this though. Now listen to this, because this is so cool, you guys. God has created us to, to reach the need. And then he has called us to, to, to something very specific in our life. He's going, you can meet this need. You're uniquely gifted to meet this need. 
In my life, God has called me to meet the needs for my wife. That is my greatest call I can give is, is to be the best husband I can possibly be. I'm stepping right into the heart of God and stepping right into what he's created me to be, to be the best husband I can possibly be. And then the best father I can possibly be. And then the best neighbor I can possibly be. And every once in a while, I'll try to be a decent pastor in the way, in there too. God has called me right into that place. It's, it, think about it like this, you guys. Think about it like this. You're a dad at work, and, you're, and you're, you know that you're tempted to work towards what you want as an individual. You're tempted to be squeezed. And Paul talks about being squeezed into that mold that the Lord, that the world puts us in, squeezed us into that mold. We're tempted to just do that thing and go do that drive and, 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 and make that successful money and, and buy that, that car and then buy that boat and then go, get that cabin and then put in that retirement. And, and, and that's all I'm doing. And if that's our only focus is to do that, a lot of times we can walk away from there without any purpose. And we can walk away from there going, man, I just feel flat in my life. It's because all we're doing is focusing on me. I'm the cupbearer to the king. But man, when we change that focus and we step into, wait, wait, why does God have me here in this place, in this workplace? What can I do in this workplace to, to bless these people in this workplace? What if I start, folks, what if that custodian at Monarch High School, I mean, I, I just, I, I picked that one because I know some of those custodians in those grade schools and high schools are so awesome at this. And when they see that their call, God has called them to care for those kids while they're emptying garbage cans. And he's going, man, it's, it's that care. And then they turn around and come home and you go, and my call is to my wife and my call is to my kids. And I step into that and there's so much more joy and purpose and fulfillment in my life as I start stepping right into what God has created me to be and now what he is calling me to do. That's where the purpose comes in and that's where the joy comes in as we're going, I am right in the heart of what God wants. And, and we try to figure it out, well, I don't know. Really, does he want me to do that? And you just go, man, come on. If it's stepping into the need and into the lives of people, that's right in the heart of what God wants us to do. And then get this, then God does more than that. He not only created us, he not only calls us, but now he inspires us towards it. He's going, you know what? My people are gonna need a little bit of extra oomph. My people are going to need a little extra push to help them towards the things that they are, that will make them the best of who they are. And so he inspires us. Let's look at what Janie wrote again, okay? Because I've read it before, but I'm going to read it again right now because it's that good. We're going to read it twice this, in this in the morning. We are made to respond to inspiration. Everybody wears an unseen sign that reads, inspire me. Remind me that my life matters. Remind me that you've called me right there. Remind me that you've created me that way. Remind me that my life matters. Call me to be my best self in responding that way. Appeal to whatever in me is most noble and honorable that puts me in that place. Don't let me go down the path of least resistance. Challenge me to make my life about something more than the acquisition of money or success. Challenge me to step into which you've created me to be. Now listen to what she says. She continues on. Inspiration comes from beyond ourselves. In Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and English, the word inspire is connected to the breath that enters us from the outside and makes us alive. Oh gosh, I love that. 
the breath that enters from us from the outside and makes us alive. That breath of God that enters into us and makes us alive and inspires us to go after this. Great causes require inspiration to reform society. Artists require inspiration to create beauty. Individuals require inspiration to overcome lethargy and come alive. We wait for someone who will call us to march. And God is calling us to march. She finishes it with Jesus inspired. The message of Jesus that would inspire the world is that there is a a transcendent God and that the character of this God is love. And that's this plan. It's such a plan of love. It's this plan that's going, man, I know, the, I know how to get the very best in you. I know how you can grow in joy. I know how you can get a purpose. Follow me. Listen to my inspiration. Respond to my call. Because I've got this right here for you. And that is that is a God that loves us that much, man. If you listen to that as guilt or, oh gosh, I got something else, I, that's something else I got to do, that's back in our individualism. That's back in I'm a cupbearer of the king. But when you hear that as a loving God that wants the very, very best and to draw the best out of you, then it becomes, yes, I want to march to that. Now, 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 here's the deal though. I am one of those people that hear that sometimes and I'm just going, yeah, but, but for me in my life, I got too many things tugging the other direction. I got, I got, I, I've tried that before. And, and if you would only know what's going through my brain, if you would only know the roadmap, the, the crazy, ugly roadmap that's in my brain that tells me, no, I can't do that. I've tried that before and I can't do that. If you'd really... If you'd know what's going on in here, you'd go, man, Bill, how are you doing on that? How are you stepping into that? How are you responding to God's inspiration? I'm just, I'd say to you, well, I'm on the, I'm at the intersection right now of pessimism and overcommitment. I'm on that intersection. That's the roads in my brain. Pessimism, it ain't going to work. And I'm already overcommitted. I'm at that intersection. My dad came into town a while ago, and, and, uh, and I sent him, we live in Rock Creek, and I sent him to the Safeway in Rock Creek, and I said, Dad, just head down there. It's like a mile down there. Like 20 minutes later, he calls me. He says, Bill, I'm lost. I, I couldn't find the Safeway. And I said, well, Dad, where are you at? And he looks, and he says, he says I'm on the corner of interlocking and interlocking, because he's in, the, he's in the, 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 the mall area where all the roads are the same. He says, I'm on the corner of interlocking and interlocking. Where do I go from here? That's where I feel like I'm at. I'm on the corner of pessimism and overcommitment. Where do I go from here? I'm on, the, I'm on the intersection of fear and doubt where those things have dominated. And I'm right there again. Where do I go from here? I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm right there on the streets of anxiousness and apathy. <laughs> where it's my apathy that hears it and my anxiousness that hears it. And I'm going, I just can't do it. I'm overwhelmed with so many things. And that's where every bit of God's inspiration becomes an I should. Well, I should do that. I should do that. I should write that letter. I should step into that. I should go talk to my, 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 my next door neighbor. I should just go talk to him. I should, I should sign up for Trailhead and actually get to know somebody. I should, I should go on that trip to Cuba. I should forgive that person. I should tell that person how much they mean to me. I should 
get back in that relationship. I should get out of that relationship. And we, I should it to the point where we're paralyzed to do anything. And that's where God is coming to us and he's going, you guys, I've paved a new road. All those things, I know. I, I mean, we look at this stuff and we just go, I don't, I don't know where this has come from, these I shoulds. You know, it might have come from, from, from a Bible study gone bad. You know, and God's going, yes, I know that. The Bible study went bad. It might have come from I gave money and then I didn't have any money to pay my bills. And if I only didn't give, I, wouldn't, I would have had money to pay my bills. Yeah, I know that that happened. You know, it came from, it came from I, I did reach out and I did extend forgiveness and that person didn't respond. Yeah, I know that happened. It came from I, I put myself out there and they didn't respond back. Jackie and I were, were just at a bar just outside of Vegas and, uh, and, and we're sitting there and this, these college students were all coming out of this big old party and, and, and we're sitting there, it's late at night and we're just watching them all and this girl is just bawling, this college student is just bawling. And, and, and I look over at her and she just sits in this chair, she's crying like crazy and Jackie and I are over there and I said, Jackie, you should probably go over there and talk to her. Because it's a girl, you know, and so Jackie is a girl too. And so they, she, she, you, I said, you should go talk to her. I said, if we were in Boulder, you would never pass up that opportunity to go talk to a college student that's hurting. And it's true because she, she loves hanging out with college students and walking with them. And so, and she goes, you're right, you know. And so she walked over and, and I felt real good about myself for pushing Jackie towards that. She walked over to her and she sat down. And, you know, every part of her could have just gone, I'm a cupbearer to the king or whatever. She could have just gone, I don't want to do this. All right, I'm going to do this. And she walks over to this girl and she sits down with her and she says, she says honey, what's, what's wrong? Can I help you with something? And she said the girl was totally drunk. And she just goes, I was partying in there and I was dancing on one of the speakers and they told me to stop. And, and Jackie's going, okay. And she goes, and she goes, and then they kicked me out and my shoes are still in there. And Jackie says, do you want me to go get your shoes? And she goes, no, everyone's coming out in 10 minutes. I'll go in and get them. You know, and Jackie's like, okay, so you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's my best version of a drunk woman. <laughs> a drunk college girl. Right. So, so, so she walks away and she comes back to me. She's going, she didn't need my help. She, she didn't need anything from me. She just needs her shoes, you know. She got to need to go over there. You guys, we can have enough times where we walk into people's lives where it doesn't go the way we want it to go or doesn't, we don't feel like we made any impact at all. We can have enough of those things to just say, I don't need to respond to this. I'm tugging on this rope this direction and you know what, it's just, it's not going to work. And that's where God's going. But I know that's happened. I've still paved a new road for you. And this road right here is a road that says, keep following me. This road says, keep responding to where I've, what I've designed you to be, what I've created you to be. Step out on this road. This road is marked by faith and by hope. Those guys in the Old Testament, Abraham and, and, and Moses and Noah, those guys all stepped out in faith. And said, I'm stepping into what the Lord wants from me. I'm stepping into what he's designed me to be. 
In Hebrews chapter, 10, chapter 11, it says, it says, now faith means being put our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of the things we cannot see. And that's stepping out on that road that says, I am stepping into what the Lord has created me to be. McManus says this, he says, faith is about a confidence in God's character that he is good and true and beautiful. There are many things that are uncertain to us, but we know that God is good, that he can be trusted with our lives and that we should live our lives in pursuit of the future he paints for us. He says, faith pushes you to pursue a God-sized dream and hope pulls you and inspires you to never quit until it's a reality. God is pulling on that rope to never quit until it's a reality. Go after it. Trusting trusting that I've made you to be this way and I've called you and inspired you and I will even provide for you. And he provided for Nehemiah. Artaxerxes thinking paid for the whole wall. I'll even provide for you. You guys, I want to finish with this because I love just thinking of just the real life example of exactly what we're talking about. I, I was spending, last week I got to spend some time with Don Bachman. He's one of my mentors in my life. You guys have heard that many times in here that there were two men that speak into my life, Don Bachman and Jim Raven. And Jim just passed away two weeks ago and, and, and it's just a, a uh, an enormous loss for many of us, me included. Um, he's just spoken so many strong words in my life over the years. Don has too. And Don was one that for some of you that have been around here, he's the one that came up here and talked about what it was like to, to care for his wife in the midst of her with vascular dementia, kind of a form of Alzheimer's. And he talked about what that looked like and what his role was in that. Well, well, Don is, Don and I were talking just this last week and kind of debriefing Jim's service that we went to a couple of weeks ago and, and talking through some just life. And, and, and at one point we were talking about Dottie again, because Dottie passed away about a month ago after seven, after seven years or more of this bout that she had with, with vascular dementia. And, and, I, and, and, one, and I said to Don, I said, Don, one of the things that we never talk about when it comes to caring for your, for your wife or your spouse in those kinds of situations is how much it costs. The thousands of dollars a month that it costs to pay for that care. And I said, how'd you do that? And he says, well, we sat down with my family and I looked at our house that we lived in for all those years and we, I decided to sell the house and really downsize and use that money to pay for it, to use that money to pay for Dottie's care. Well, Dottie was in a, a home for, that, that was caring for her for seven years. And Don was using up that money to, do the, to, to pay for that. And I said to him at some point, I said, at some point you had to be so afraid that the money was running out as you watch your wife die. You had to be afraid what happens when the the profits from your house were gone and then what do you do? I said, you had to be terrified in that moment. And and he so matter-of-factly looked at me and said, no, I wasn't. I said, why not? He says, because I stepped into a place where I knew God had me. I knew he wanted me to care for my wife. I knew that. And he inspired me that even as she was losing her mind and didn't even recognize me, that I was still going to care for her. And he said, and he even provided for me. And I trusted through all that time that he was going to provide for me to care for my wife. He didn't live on the intersection of fear and doubt. 
He didn't stay there and say, I should have or I would and maybe I could. He knew that God had created him that way and that he had called him to his highest calling on this earth was, his, was the love that he had for his wife and he was going to live that thing out to the very end. And he trusted that if I'm there, firmly planted in the will of God because I am following what he wants me to do in just, in just living out how he's designed me to be, I'm going to be okay. You know, and in the end, I asked him, I said, did you run out of money? And he said, she died one month before the end of the, of the, of the money from that house. Now, I'm not saying that's the way God's going to respond to every one of us, and that's the provision that God will have for every one of us. But I am saying this, God is laying somebody in something that is cutting you to the core and is dropping you to your knees. And he's laying that right in front of us. And we can stand at the intersections of should. We can stand at the intersection of fear. We can stand at the intersection of doubt. Or we can step right into the will of God and say, yes, Lord, yes, I'm going to respond. Even if it means I'm going to leave being the cupbearer to the king. Even if it means sacrifice some of that stuff. I'm tired of living an individual life. I am going to live a life that's reaching out and looking out. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to do it? I'm saying yes to you and the call of my life. What's he laying in front of you? Father, we pray that you would help us to grab hold of that and help us to understand what that means. Help us to, to see what might be in front of us. God, we pray that you would help every one of us. I pray for sure that you would, that every one of us would hear the love story in this. Not the obligation or the guilt or, or the things that we would filter through our individualism, but we, that you would hear, we would hear the love story in this. That God's got, that you've got a plan that says, step into my will. God, help us to do that and experience the joy and the beauty of a life lived that way. Show us what's out there. Cut us to the core. Bring us to our knees. It's in your name we pray. Amen.